0: Does the New Testament reinterpret the Old Testament, and are there multiple senses or meanings in any given verse or text of Holy Scripture? Welcome to The Baptist Broadcast. I'm your host, Joshua Summer, pastor of Victory Baptist Church here in Kansas City. I'm glad you can join me on here. If you're ever here in town, please come and visit us on a Sunday. What about multiple senses? What about the interpretation of the New Testament as it relates to the Old Testament, the New Testament use of the Old Testament? And you know, a a lot of times this kind of question is asked uh, or probed uh, or maybe put to the other side as kind of a, a jest or a gotcha question. Uh, with regard to eschatology, a lot of times this comes out in eschatological discussions, particularly between you know more amillennial leaning uh, brethren as they you know have discussions and interactions with more premillennial uh, brethren, and so you'll you'll sometimes hear uh, those who are coming for, from particularly a more uh, dispensational premillennial historical grammatical uh, background, all of which is it can be associated with. Um, in, in more contemporary times, like Dallas Theological Seminary and um, uh, Dan Wallace, and, and 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 that kind of methodology, and you'll hear those who uh, are coming kind of from that school ask, you know, all millennialists, um, you know, well, if you're just going to uh, say that, you know, the church is the new Israel. Uh, that would require you to reinterpret the Old Testament, or at least to make the claim that the New Testament is reinterpreting the Old Testament in a way the Old Testament was never intended to be interpreted, which obviously nobody agrees that that can happen. But the, some of the premillennialists would allege that that's the implication of the, uh, of the amillennial position. And so, the, the, really the question that I want to look at here is whether or not uh, the New Testament does in fact reinterpret the Old Testament, or, or whether or not that's something we should believe, um, uh, and I want to look at the multiple senses of Scripture, or, or what has been called the fourfold sense of Scripture, and we're going to interact with William Whitaker, who was an influence uh, upon the Westminster Assembly in the 17th century. And uh, he wrote a book titled Disputation on Holy Scripture, uh, very helpful in terms of hermeneutics, uh, the art and philosophy of, of interpreting the Bible in this case. And so we're going to glean some things, some points, I think some helpful points from him uh, that kind of give us a- an even-keeled, level-headed um, view of uh, the depths of Holy scripture and how on the one hand, we don't want to, we don't want to say that there can be all these different subjective meanings in scripture. But on the other hand, we we have to say that there, there's something deeper than just the letters right on the page. Like, like there's, there's, there's depth to be plumbed in scripture. And, and it's why we always say, well, you know, uh, s- scripture is, you know, um, Unfathomable in terms of of what it reveals to us, and and you could spend a whole lifetime uh, studying scripture and never get to the bottom of the depths of its revelation. And um, y- you know that's not the same thing. Uh, we couldn't really say that about a technical manual uh, for uh, a Jeep or 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 you know some kind of uh, instruction manual for a computer uh, i mean if you if you opened either one of those uh, documents and and researched it thoroughly enough you could you could pretty much comprehend it uh, given a, enough time memorize it and, and and grasp it you know come to a well grasp of it scripture is different than that it's a different organism it's a, a it's a living word that comes from god and and, and it reveals to us uh, an infinite god that we cannot comprehend a god who himself sets the meaning and the intent of those words even though those words are accommodated to us as creatures so that we can read them and understand them yet they have reference to that which is you know fathomless and uh, and I- incomprehensible which is god himself um and so we do have to say something about the nature of scripture as well that that it is deeper uh, than just the letters on the page. It can't be read like a technical manual. It can't be read like a, um, a, you know, a, an English uh, textbook or a mathematical textbook. It, it has to be read uh, according to what it is. It has to be approached uh, in proportion to its own nature, and that is you know, a document that is revealed to us from God, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit through uh, the prophets and the apostles. And, um, and so we're going to get into this a little bit. I don't intend for this to be a very long video. I would like to actually go through this quite, uh, quite briefly. And so if I go a little too fast, you can rewind and, and maybe watch it again. But it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be too difficult uh, to grasp here. So as I mentioned earlier, this question usually arises whenever you have uh, brothers or sisters that are coming from different eschatological positions and and they're engaging one another in, in debate uh, or in disputation. And, you know, they're asking the questions, the big questions uh, about hermeneutics. Um, well, certain things you say about your particular version of eschatology implies that the New Testament has to reinterpret the Old Testament in some way, something like that. Um, but I would submit to you that the problem is deeper than eschatology, and the divide is is deeper than eschatology. It's really a divide between those who have assumed, whether it be in service to their eschatology or not, it's those who have assumed a more rigid uh, or exclusive historical grammatical method of interpretation, which is a method that can be applied to any document, not just Scripture, but but any document requires that we... Uh, uh, apply the historical grammatical method of interpretation. So I'm not saying we shouldn't apply that in our biblical interpretation. I'm just saying there are those who assume that 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 is it. And then the redemptive historical guys who have a redemptive historical interpretational model. So they will grant... Uh, that the historical grammatical method is is a must. Like, we have to consider history. Uh, We have to consider grammar. I mean, we can't even read a sentence in the Bible without grammar. And so we have to, you know, logically thumb through history and, and grammar. And this is just kind of first principles of biblical interpretation. But the redemptive historical guys would say, yeah, granted, but the Bible's not just any other human document, right? The Bible is... Written by men, but only men are only serving as instruments, and and God is actually the supreme author here, and and He's woven these these documents that He has inspired men to to write, you know, the different books of the Bible, into one tapestry uh, or into one narrative that communicates His plan of redemption. It reveals Him and all things in relation to Him in service uh, of of a broader redemptive narrative, and so the redemptive historical guys are saying yeah there's 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 more than just this verse right here this verse right here needs to be interpreted according to the rules of grammar sure we grant that we understand that it has a historical context and it was it was it was you know in the case of historical narrative it literally happened it's real we believe it but also we understand that it's god uh that is providentially orchestrating these historical events that are recorded in scripture and he has a, a, a purpose a broader more far reaching purpose that is served by these by these historical events and so uh, the more historical redemptive guys which i would just take to 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 be those who who kind of Stand on, on the pre-modern side of biblical interpretation, um, uh, along with where William Whitaker is going to land. We'll see that here in a moment. Uh, back in the 17th century, and I would say even before. This is really a, just a perennial way of of understanding the Bible historically, historical grammatical ha- has you know those elements have always been granted as necessary in one's approach to Scripture, but but not just that. All right, Scripture is a deep document. It's got uh, depths that are deep enough for elephants to swim, as well as shores that are shallow enough for the children to play, and so uh, we have to recognize that. So let's let's quickly or briefly answer the question: Does the New Testament reinterpret the Old Testament? The answer is absolutely no, not absolutely not. It's it's been the caricature uh, from uh, some who. Who, who land in the more, you know, kind of historical grammatical camp, I'll just say historical grammatical only camp, uh, and they will accuse, you know, those redemptive historical guys of, uh, of doing that, of reinterpreting the Old Testament using the New Testament, or they'll even say, well, you believe that the New Testament reinterprets the Old Testament. And I just don't think that's a fair characterization at, at all, um, because the intended meaning of the Old Testament— can be unpacked, right? We see a little bit of an illustration uh, of this even in preaching. So, in preaching, um, expositional preaching, uh, the project of exposition is to unpack the biblical material. So, let's say you take, you know, John 1 1 through 3, and you've got uh, this wonderful text, uh, but you don't just read, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? You don't just read that to the congregation, you unpack that through exposition and explain it to the congregation. And so I think what's going on with the relationship between the New Testament and the Old Testament is the New Testament is, is expounding upon, it's unfolding the meaning that was pregnant in the first place within the old testament so it's not as if the new testament is introducing completely novel ideas into the old testament when it engages the old testament it's to say rather that the new testament is bringing to clarity and unfolding meaning that was already pregnant in the text to begin with all right and so we wouldn't want to say that the new testament reinterprets the old testament but only that the new testament exposits the old testament you know you have these these uh sayings and in and augustine and i think john gill says something similar you know uh that the new testament was in the old testament concealed uh or at least shadowy you know in the old testament in a shadowy way uh and then the old testament is in the new testament fully revealed and clarified um in 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 Christ, and so you have this wonderful dynamic between the New Testament and the Old Testament that I think is, you know, when you when you have Jesus, for example, quoting the Old Testament, uh, or Matthew, that Matthew is famous for what's called the formula quotations. R.T. France talks about this in his Matthew commentary, uh, in the New International Commentary series, where uh, you know Matthew is predominantly concerned with the fulfillment of prophecy in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so he is there are I think there are 10 or 12 formula quotations total in Matthew where it says so that it might be fulfilled and then he quotes or alludes to the Old Testament and what's going on there as Matthew does that is he's explaining under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a a fuller clarified meaning of the Old Testament he's not just repeating he's not just repeating what the Old Testament says uh, he's pointing to an event that is occurring in relation to the Historical point of the Gospel of Matthew. And he's saying, this event that is now occurring is the fulfillment of what was said back in the Old Testament, of something that was prophesied back in the Old Testament. And here it is in front of you, uh, held before you in all clarity in the pages of my Gospel account, essentially, is what Matthew's saying, under, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the New Testament is the Holy Spirit expositing his own words back in the Old Testament. It's kind of like if you, you know, let's take preaching again and say that there is a pastor who um, takes one Sunday and goes through Isaiah 53 um, and, and kind of just unfolds the exegesis of Isaiah 53. And, and he's just kind of like, he, he's not really going beyond Isaiah 53. He's just kind of you know, here's the order, here's the historical context, here's what's going on with Isaiah, here's, you know, and he just takes Sunday and looks at, at just Isaiah 53, how the text hangs, hangs together, uh, the logic of the text, and so on. And then let's say he takes next Sunday, and he he's still in Isaiah 53, but he begins to show how Isaiah 53 is a, a prophecy of Christ. But to do that... He's going to the New Testament, and he's looking at what Christ actually accomplished and how that kind of fills in the lines of Isaiah 53. If Isaiah 53 is kind of like a coloring book without color, right? It's it's like a page of a coloring book. You see the lines, but there's no color. Then the New Testament, the finished work of Christ would kind of be like the color of Uh, in those lines. And so you're not seeing a reinterpretation, you're seeing a continuation and an exposition of what happened in the Old Testament. I think that's a very helpful way to talk about the New Testament relationship to the Old Testament. Now, let's talk about this issue of manifold senses in Scripture. Throughout the Middle Ages, uh, there was a, um, uh, a school of hermeneutical thought um, Henry uh, de Lubac uh, covers this extensively in a massive three-volume set. Uh, he, he's a Roman Catholic, um, covering basically the hermeneutics of the Middle Ages. It's helpful in a lot of ways, especially if you're wanting to know what was going on in the Middle Ages. Um, and there's and there's not uh, uh, there's not a total disconnect between de Lubac, even though he's a Roman Catholic, and 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 things that would be helpful. for for those of us who are obviously not Roman Catholics. So it's not altogether unhelpful. Dry, but not altogether unhelpful. Um, So uh, he discusses the fourfold interpretation of Scripture. So the meaning of each of the folds of the fourfold sense, if you will, the literal, the allegorical, the uh, tropological, and the anagogical are as follows. So the literal teaches history, sometimes why it's called the historical sense. So the literal teaches history, and it's thought that the rest of the senses derive from the literal sense. So the literal sense is kind of the foundation or the source of the rest of the senses. The allegorical teaches what we should believe. The tropological teaches what we should do, you know, so there's a moral tint to the tropological. What we should do, it's sometimes called the moral sense. And then the anagogical teaches us where we are going, that which we... Uh, might look forward to, right? So it's 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 kind of eschatologically facing. Um, that's the meaning of the fourfold sense. So when we say literal, you know, uh, allegorical, tropological, anagogical, that's what we mean. Um, and it's thought that each text has four distinct senses: the lit- again, the literal sense, uh, the tropological sense, the um, the allegorical sense, and the anagogical sense. What this looks like. I'm not saying that all those in the Middle Ages thought this. I actually don't think that they did because they would say things like all, you know, all meaning arises from the literal sense. You know, tropology, allegory, anagogy, all of that, if there is any, arises from the literal or the historical sense. So they're paying the literal or historical sense it's due. But one of the habits, particularly among the Jesuits, and this is is what Whitaker actually interacts with, is uh, to think of those senses or the full f- fourfold sense of scripture as indicated as indicating four distinct or different meanings. And when you when you begin to indicate or 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 think that a given text in scripture has four distinct or different meanings, um, then what can happen is obviously there's there's kind of a loophole there inserted for you to be able to, to create just kind of helpful contradictions so to speak you can have the literal sense but then you could have uh you know the allegorical sense which is meant to to teach you know uh, what we are to do um uh the allegorical sense is 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 or rather the allegorical sense i think is is to teach us what to believe so the allegorical sense could could in theory contradict the literal sense um and then you can have all kinds of uh you know a, a kind of uh contradictory um, uh, dialectic, if you know what I'm saying. So it, it could just be become this, uh, yeah, scripture. we know Scripture says this, but um, this is actually what we're going to do, or this is actually what we're going to believe. And you wonder just how much that actually played in, and I'm not sure. This is just speculation on my part. You wonder how much that that particular understanding of the fourfold of Scripture Fourfold meaning of Scripture actually played into the um, uh, emergence of seemingly contradictory traditions in, per- particularly Roman Catholicism, uh, that butt up against Scripture. Not to mention the the view of tradition um, of of the via moderna and the canon lawyers and all of that. Um, when you get to the Reformation uh, and and the the post the post-Reformation uh, reformed Orthodox, the Puritans—let's just call them the Puritans—you um, you get a more nuanced discussion with regard to biblical interpretation that, uh, on the one hand, rejects any possibility of four different meanings in Scripture. On the other hand, it doesn't completely reject uh, the reality of a of 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 you know historical. Uh, tropological, allegorical, and, 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 anago- and anagogical levels of application. Okay, so uh, this, this brings me to Whitaker, because I think Whitaker travels this ground very well. Again, William Whitaker is a uh, 17th century um, uh, influence. He, he influenced the Westminster Assembly. I don't think he was actually present at the Assembly, but his words, um, and he may actually straddle the centuries. He may be uh, 16th to 17th. Uh, His words in this disputation on Holy Scripture uh, will go on to affect uh, the framing of the Westminster Confession, the Westminster Standards. So it's a very influential document. Um, uh, And he walks this path, I think, brilliantly. Because on the one hand, he doesn't get rid of allegory altogether. Uh, Allegory doesn't become some kind of bad guy for him just because the Roman Catholics misused it. Uh, He doesn't get rid of tropology. He doesn't get rid of um, anagogy. Um, all of those um, senses, uh, or I don't want to say senses, but but all of those concepts remain present in Whitaker, but they are moved from being four different senses to being applications of the one sense of Scripture. And so you'll get this language in the Confession, particularly, I believe, in chapter 1, that Scripture has one sense that that the sense of of scripture and I can even uh, jump there real quick uh because I have it open um uh, let's see here I think it's going to be it it comes into a uh i think it's i think it's in a uh yeah it's uh it's paragraph nine of of chapter one. It says, the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is the Scripture itself, and therefore when there is a question about the true and full sense. So notice the language of true and full sense of any Scripture. And then it inserts this qualifier, which is not manifold, but one. It must be searched by other places that speak more clearly. So it mentions a fuller sense, or a census plenor in in uh, paragraph 9 of of uh, chapter 1 of the Second London Confession, but it qualifies that this sense is is not manifold, it's one sense. And Whitaker is going to say here in a moment that this sense may be applied, you know, tropologically, anagogically, or allegorically. Uh, but it must have reference finally and, and arise out of, similar to what the medieval some of the medieval uh, expositors would have said, that it must arise out of the literal sense. Um, this is this is the first thing that I wanted to bring up. This is Whitaker's kind of uh, rebuff of of the manifold sense language of the Middle Ages. So he says, as to those three spiritual senses. So he's taken for granted the literal sense, but he he goes on to address the the latter three senses. Uh, the tropological, anagogical, and allegorical. He says, as to those three spiritual senses, it is surely foolish to say that there are as many senses of Scripture as the words themselves may be transferred and accommodated to bear. And so basically what he's saying there is, just because the words in Scripture can be expounded, the sense of the words of Scripture can be expounded so as to meet the needs of various areas of life and, and, and apply it to different situations and so on, doesn't mean that there are different senses or different meanings in those words. In other words, it's, it's one sense with far-reaching implications and can be plumbed more deeply, but it's, it's nevertheless one meaning. It, it's just a question of, of, of how much of that meaning has been exposited. Uh, it's not a question of different meanings. So he, he, he he's there seen, you know, um, moving against or pushing back against the the fourfold, the medieval kind of, especially the Jesuit angled fourfold sense of scripture. But then here you see that he has definitely a, a, uh, a favorable opinion of the census plenior or the full sense of scripture, which is articulated in Second London, Chapter One, Article Nine. And it's also in the Westminster Confession. Um, but he says this for, although the words may be applied and accommodated tropologically, allegorically, anagogically, or any other way, yet there are not therefore various senses, various interpretations and explications of scripture, but there is but one sense and that the literal sense, which, and that the literal, which may be variously accommodated and from which various things may be collected. So you see what he's saying there. It's all rising out of the literal sense. The literal sense or the historical sense is the most fundamental. It's the most foundational. And if you're going to derive theological conclusions or even practical applications, it must be able to be derived from that literal sense, right, from that from that true sense of the text. Um, so for Whitaker, it's not, you know, are there different meanings per text, right? Like, it is like does John one, uh, one through three have different meanings uh, or is it the case that it has one meaning with, you know, unfathomable depths that, that need to be mined out and exposited to congregations and students. A- and it would be the latter, right? It's one meaning that can be, that can be drilled down into, you know, dug out and presented before congregations and classrooms of students. Uh, and families, for that matter, right? So, guys, I hope this was a helpful episode. I just kind of wanted to get on here and uh, and and riff on some hermeneutics and, and and talk about that. I think it's helpful to consider these things, especially in our uh, in our Bible readings. Uh, these things are helpful. I've found to 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 go through with with you know your family and congregation. Um, one of the things that I didn't mention in this video, but I'll leave you with this thought. You know, looking at reading someone like Whitaker um, and and reading the older, you know, someone like Augustine, for example, in his book On Christian Doctrine, he goes through uh, biblical interpretation at the outset of that volume. Uh, And and then looking at how the New Testament authors interpret the Old Testament and how the New Testament authors interact with Scripture. I, I think there's a lot of similarity I think when you look at the, the, the ancient church, particularly the pre-modern era, b- before, the, before the Enlightenment, um, you see the basic assumption of the census plenoir, the, the basic assumption of the fuller sense, that yes, this text has a surface-level meaning that must mean what it says, but also that meaning, it doesn't stop there. And that text doesn't stop there. There are far-reaching implications. This is a text that's inspired by God. It's, it's, it's not written by a man with a finite level of understanding. It's written ultimately by God, who inspi- who may have inspired men of finite understanding, but we have to remember that the words themselves have reference, must have chief reference to the chief author, and that is God himself. And I think the implications of that is Number one, when we're looking at the Old Testament in relation to the New Testament, well, the Old Testament uh, could be expounded upon. Um, it, it wasn't a, a complete canon in the sense that it still needed the New Testament. The reason it needed the New Testament is because the New Testament is an unfolding of the meaning that was already pregnant in the Old Testament. It didn't reinterpret anything. It, it unfolded what was already there. It exposited what was already there. Um and so understanding why the New Testament can do that is because, well, both Old and New Testaments are authored by God. And so God gets to comment on his own words, and that's what he's doing in in the New Testament. And then with regard to the fourfold sense of Scripture, you know, I think those words, allegory, anagogy, tropology, those are helpful concepts. And I think those words, you know, tropology, allegory, anagogy are helpful as well. Um, they just need to be understood as... Um, that which communicates the fuller meaning uh, of the text, not different meanings or different senses altogether. Guys, I hope that was helpful. God bless. Have a wonderful rest of your day. If this helped you, it'll help someone else. Think about sharing it. Goodbye.